Good evening again. Um, I'm excited for tonight. I'm excited that you've decided to be here tonight, that you thought it was worth your time uh, to spend your evening with us. Uh, if you haven't been here, we've been studying over 1 Corinthians. That's why we have scripture notebooks. We've been doing this over the last uh, several weeks. Uh, studied the first four chapters, and we come to chapter five tonight. Uh, in those first few chapters, we see Paul addressing a problem in the Corinthian church. And we've talked about this last several weeks. Does anybody remember what the big issue was in the first four chapters that Paul was writing to the Corinthians? What was the big issue that he was writing? What, what student knows what issue Paul was writing about to the Corinthian church in those first four chapters? Victoria? Yeah, so that was the truth he was trying to teach them. Why, why was he trying to teach them that truth? What was going on in the church? What, what, what was happening? Do you remember? Why was identity in Christ a, such a big truth that he was trying to push? Who, what, was, what was the church doing that was not having unity? Yeah, they're putting other humans as more important than what they ought to, and they were causing divisions in the church, right? That's what we we're talking about. So thank you for answering, Victoria. There we go. Oh, I'm sorry. I overthrew it. I, I'm prone to overthrowing things. I apologize, Victoria. Um, so yeah, that was the, that was uh, the issue. People were elevating different church leaders in the Corinthian church more than what they should. Uh, the and the problem with that is it caused divisions. And as Christians, we should be unified, not uh, divided, because we realize we should be at a spot where we realize that we all need a Savior. We need to confess Jesus as that Savior and our Lord, and uh, that should be the thing that unifies us all together as believers. Now, at the heart level, Paul was addressing the Corinthians of their pride. Corinthians had pride that were elevating them to think that they were better than other sections of the Corinthian church. Um, and what we'll see in this chapter is Paul addressing another sinful outward action of the Corinthians' pride. And that is the action of not addressing sexual sin in the church. So, if you have your scripture notebooks with you, in, uh, please open to chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Now, before we start reading our passage, I want you to think of a time when you saw someone else sin. When, uh, and, and before we get into that, I just want to remember, like, what is the definition of sin? A sin is something that falls short of God's standards. It's overstepping of God's set limits, or it's breaking God's law. And I just want to think, I want you to think of a situation where you witnessed someone else sinning, someone else not uh, keeping God's law, someone overstepping the limits that God had said. Don't, I, don't, I don't want outward answers. I just want you to think to yourself a time where you saw someone else sin. Maybe it was against God. Maybe it was against someone else. Maybe they sinned against you. They hurt you in some way. They were hurting someone else in some way. I want you to think about a time where you witnessed someone else sinning. I want you to think about what your reaction was to that situation, what your thoughts were. How did that situation make you feel? And what, what was going through your mind when you saw this happening? So I just want you to, to think about that time when, you, when, you see, when you've seen someone else sin. What you think about this, because in 
In our passage this evening, we'll read about Paul addressing a sin of someone else. Uh, Paul feels the need to address this particular situation because it seems that this person is very prideful of their sin, and they don't see the need to repent of it. So let's get into our chapter for today. If you don't have your scripture notebook with you, I'll have the, the verses on the screen. So as always, as we read scripture together, just remind you to underline passages that stick out to you that maybe you might have questions, circle those and discuss those in your small groups. If you don't have your scripture notebook with you, you can uh, write down the verse reference if something sticks out to you so that way you can refer back to this later. So 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1 says this, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove from your congregation the one who did this? So, uh, from these verses, we see that there's a certain man, uh, someone unnamed, but we see that it's a man in the, in the church of Corinth uh, who is uh, committing sexual sin. And this Corinthian man was having sexual relations with his stepmother, the, the, the wife of his father. And Paul says that these sexual acts are sinful and outside the design of, that God has for sex. And that it, this is so far out there that it's not even something that is tolerated. Or, uh, in, in other words, it's something... That is not even appropriate in the eyes of non-believers. In the pagan world, what this man is doing in the church is seen as gross. It's disgusting. So you can only imagine what Paul's take on this should be inside the church, if that's how outside the church would see this. Uh, the, the response from the Corinthian church toward this sin is very passive. And so it's reported to Paul that people were actually arrogant in this situation. Their pride was so focused on the divisions that we talked about the first four chapters that he was addressing. They were so focused on the divisions in certain people groups within the, the church of Corinth that they weren't responding at all to this serious sin that was taking place inside the church at Corinth. I mean, this man is having sexual relations with his stepmother, and it is so gross that it should have grieved, it should have grieved the Corinthians, and Paul says that it should have grieved them so much that they should have removed that man from the church, not even allowed that person to worship with them, that it's that grievous of a action. Now, it's at this point in the letter that we're introduced to this concept of church discipline in the church of Corinth. So I, I want you to uh, read with me as we continue and see what Paul has to say about this concept of church discipline. So verses 3 through 8. Even though I am absent in the body, I am present in spirit. And as one who is present with you in this way, I've already pronounced a judgment on the one who has been doing such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sanctified. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old leaven or with the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity 
and truth. Now, we see Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, he's already casting judgment on this man, this unrepentant sinner. Um, Paul is telling the, the church leaders that, hey, I'm commanding you to do this. Like to, uh, When someone is, commits such a gross sin and isn't repenting for it, doesn't see it as wrong, they're actually proud of it, they're, they're not turning away from it, I'm telling you, church leader, this is Paul, that you cannot allow such a person to be considered part of your worship fellowship, part of your gathering, your church. And that's what Paul is telling to this church leader. Now, with the people around you for the next five minutes, I want you to answer this question. I want you to think, I want, I want you to answer the why question. Why do you think Paul commands the Christian church to not have that man in their congregation? So, within your groups, next five minutes. I just want you to talk about that conversation with the person next to you. Ready? And go. Two, one. Okay. What are some answers? I need three, three answers from some different groups. Why, why do you think Paul commands the Corinthian church not to have this man in their congregations? Sam. Yeah, you could have other believers, especially young believers who don't know any better, be like, oh, this man claims to be a follower of Jesus and he's doing this act. Oh, so this is okay for me to do. Therefore, I can also do this. Yeah, Victoria. Right? They're like, hey, if, if, other, if, if this person's sin is not taken seriously, then what can I get away with? You know, like what, what sin can I commit that the church isn't going to do anything about? Like, it's okay for me to keep on sinning and not be repentant of it. Yeah. What's, what's uh, one more answer? What's another answer that you guys talked about? In groups that's different from the two that was given, or it could be similar. Daniel, you got one? Yeah, they, they also might want to do that, and then they also might think of, oh, I know the Bible says this, but he's doing this, and the church is okay with it. Is the Bible really God's inerrant, like, no error? Is it really the perfect Word of God? Like, does, does God really expect this of somebody? Yeah? You got one more quick one, Isaac? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be the stepmom. It's, it's the wife of, of your father. Yeah, it's just wrong. They're like, hey, we don't want this bad reputation. Like, we're supposed to be re reflecting Christ, and someone in our congregation is doing this, and there's no remorse. You know, we're going to be known as the church who allows this to happen, and we're going to have a bad reputation for it, right? Yeah, totally. Um, it, and so I, I, think, I think you guys are all on that, on that line, on that page where, you know, Paul's just like, you got, you can't have this person in there. Because what, what is the purpose of the church? It's the gathering of believers. To be a believer, you must recognize that you're a sinner in need of saving, and that sin is, is really destructive. Sin is something that we should flee from, we should run from, we should turn away from. And when we do commit sin, if we are a true believer and we are aware of that sin, we should repent of it, turn away from it, and turn to God and ask for forgiveness. And so what Paul is doing here, he's saying, hey, you know what? This person's actually not acting like a true believer. He's committing sin willfully and not repentive of it. He doesn't see it as wrong. He hasn't said he's sorry. He hasn't asked for forgiveness. He hasn't gone through that. And it's just blatantly wrong and gross. And if he doesn't do anything about that, He's, he's basically acting like an unbeliever. And we can't have 
uh, someone who is doing that infiltrate our church because of all the reasons that you guys just gave. Think about it. It's not 2022 where you have multiple churches and you have these big churches and uh, it, someone who might slip in in the back row and might be sinning and it might go unnoticed or maybe not as publicized. It's very much different. And that church back then, the church was smaller and the church was very new, and they didn't have the entirety of the Bible given to them. And so they're of this like fragile state that if any false teaching came into the church, like you could have false teaching, false uh, beliefs quickly enter, and that's going to destroy a new church quicker than anything else. And that's why Paul is very serious about addressing this. And it's like, hey, you cannot allow him to gather with you to keep confessing Christ and to keep sinning because it will affect the church. And so that's why he says you must uh, have him leave. Now, he then, Paul then uses this illustration of bread. And I don't know if you caught it, but if I had to guess, not many of you know the, what the word leavened means or yeast or have ever cooked with yeast. I have never cooked with yeast. I have no idea how yeast works. Uh, only things I know is because I looked it up because I knew I was teaching tonight. So, full disclosure. So, if you're an expert in bread and yeast and I say something wrong, please correct me because I, I'm not the baker um, that some people might be. So, in this passage, he's talking about Leavened and unleavened bread. Now, uh, leaven is just another word for yeast, okay? Yeast is something that makes bread dough rise uh, to make it more of a, a fluffy type of a bread. So we see a bread that has leavened or yeast in it. It's a little bit fluffier of a bread. And you have bread that is unleavened or has no yeast of it. Think of like pita bread would be an example of unleavened bread. So what happens is when you, when you put leaven or when you put yeast in bread, you, you actually are changing the molecular makeup of the dough, where it is no longer this pure bread form of, uh, of, of bread dough, but it's dough that has yeast combined with it. So Paul is using this illustration of unleavened and leavened bread to explain that as a church, your identity has to be rooted in Christ, and that should unify you. And we discussed earlier this, why unity is important. But Paul says when people are trying to bring false truths, other things that they want to serve themselves and identify with into the church, that, I, that identity is no longer centered and grounded in Christ, but there's a competing identity, and a competing identity of serving self instead of serving Christ. So no longer do you have the bread makeup of your identity rooted in Christ, but you're adding something to it that is uh, contrary and is something that is different than your identity that should be rooted in Christ. You're adding something to it. And what happens when you add stuff to your identity, which should only be solely grounded in Christ, you start creating a fluffy, good-feeling type of belief system that looks good, that might taste good, but really is not solely based on your identity in Christ. And so this is what Paul's trying to say here. He's like, you have to be rooted in Christ. So it's not just this random break in 1 Corinthians. This is flowing from the first four chapters, is being rooted in Christ. He says this in verse 8. He says, therefore let us observe the feast not with old leaven or with leaven of malice and evil, 
but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I would, I would underline, if you have your scripture notebook with you, underline verse 8. He's, he's just saying, you don't want to add anything to this truth. You don't add anything to the identity that should be only grounded in Christ. Now, from reading this, reading this verse, you might ask yourself, uh, at least I did, malice, evil, you know, where do you see that in this passage? You know, I, I'm not reading about someone who's hating someone else. They're not trying to, to kill somebody. But if I had to ask you, you know, go back to that man that Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 5. You know, how much hate did he have to have toward his own father to just disrespect him and have those sexual relations with his stepmom, his father's wife? Like, you have to have an extreme amount of disrespect and hate for your own father. Like, you must really not like your father to, like, hey, like, I, I hate you so much that the person that you're closest with, like, I'm going to disrespect both of you. Like, there, there's, there is a level of, of evil and malice or, or, or hate in this passage. I think that's, that's why he writes further and expounds further why he should be casted out of the church. So if you have your scripture notebooks with you, again, let's pick up our passage in verse 9 and read through the end of the chapter. Verse 9, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you'd have to leave the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister and is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or verbal abusive, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. And so here we, we see this difference between associating with uh, people, uh, the difference of being in the world, but not associating with uh, people that are of the world that claim to be Christ followers. This is the big idea in this last section. And, and here's, here's kind of the, the point that Paul is trying to make in this kind of last argument of why church discipline should be carried out for this individual. He says, hey, uh, for the people, I, I, he's like, I just want to clarify, I, I don't mean to not associate with anybody who is a sinner, anybody who is sexual immoral, or anybody who is greedy, or anything else in that list. He says, if, you, if I commanded you to do that, you would have to isolate yourself. You would have to not be able to be even in the context of city that you're in, because everyone's a sinner. He's like, what I'm telling you is like, don't be with the people that confess to follow Christ and continue to do those sinful actions time and time again and not be repentive of it. Because it is a sign of an unbeliever, it's a sign that uh, they don't truly understand the gospel, that they don't really love Jesus, that they're really only about serving themselves. And if you're around that person, guess what happens? One, you're going to be influenced by them to maybe think those same things or believe those lies and act those same ways. And two, those who are truly a Christian, someone could meet you, understand what a Christian is, meet them, 
and be like, hey, I thought a Christian was supposed to be this, but apparently a Christian is, can be that as well, and they have a false idea of what it means to follow Christ because you associate with someone who is sinning and not repentive but confessing Christ, and they think, oh, that's actually what a Christian is supposed to look like. You're actually bringing down the name of Jesus by associating with these people because you're saying, hey, it's okay to do this. And so the, and Paul ends with this uh, kind of idea of like, you know, being, you have to be in the world. You can't hold people who don't know Jesus to this standard because they're going to sin. But those who confess this, we have to hold them to this standard because there's detrimental effects if we don't. And so this brings us to this big closing question for tonight. This is the big, big idea question. You know, so, so okay, we read this. I understand what this is saying. Here's the very practical question I want you to write down. You know, how should a Christian react to the sins of other people? How should a Christian react to the sins of other people? Because this is where it's going to get practical for you as students. In the school system, on an athletic team, in a club, part of an organization, at a job, you know, how should you react when you see other people sin? Because you're going to see it all the time. First, I would say this. Uh, believers should pray for guidance from God on how to process and handle the situation. You should pray. Don't go just act. Pray about it. Ask God for guidance on how to handle this situation. So number one, first step, pray. Two, discern if they are a confessing believer or not. Are they confessing to follow Christ? Not, I believe in God. Believing God doesn't save anybody. It's confessing Christ as Savior and Lord. That's what saves you. And so do they confess Christ as Lord and Savior of their life? So you have to determine that. Is this someone that I've, I've heard that says, hey, I'm a Christian. I've committed my life to Christ. I gave my life to Christ when I was this age. Have you heard them say that? Again, not, oh, do they go to church? Because going to church doesn't necessarily save you, right? It's having a relationship with Jesus, confessing him as Lord and Savior. So you have to discern that. If, if so, if they have a relationship with Jesus, approach them with grace and humility, recognizing that you too are in need of grace every single day. So approach them with grace and humility. Now, if you approach them and be like, hey, I see this. I'm telling you this because I love you and you confess to be a Christian. I want to say this to you because I see this pattern of sin in your life. You did this public sin, and you appear to be pretty prideful about it, that you're not really sorry about it, that you made fun of this person this way, or that you're joking around with people in a sexual context, or you're being really prideful. You're putting other people down. You're being a bully. You know, like, I see you, you, you confess Christ, but I see you doing these actions, and I, and I just want to care for you and just be like, hey, like, you know, I, I don't think that honors Christ very well. If they're a believer, if they're a legit believer, hopefully they have enough humility to take that from, from you. If they're not a believer and they continue to sin and they don't, they're, they're not repentive of it, and they go to the same local church as you, here's the next step that I would suggest and encourage you with, is I want you to reach out to your small group leader or to a pastor at your local church. Because from there, what's going to happen is they, you've taken it to the next step of authority, and they're going to address it with that person. 
And that's always the next step uh, when you're addressing someone who's unrepentive of sin is you take it to the church authority. So whether that's a small group leader at Hype, if it's someone here, or, or myself, or Dave, and, and we'll handle that situation. We'll approach that person. We'll give them biblical counsel. We'll tell them why what they're doing is sinful and how it's hurtful. Um, and so we'll approach church discipline that way. Now, if they are from another local church, so maybe you know they go to church somewhere else, they confess Christ, but you see them doing this, I would suggest also either telling myself or another pastor, or if you know someone from that church, be like, hey, I've seen someone doing this, and I just want you to be aware of it. Because let me tell you, it's really helpful, and, I, and I've had this happen, so I want you to be on guard. Be aware. I've had other pastors approach me and say, hey, Kent, one of your students is reported to do this in school. And so what do I have to do then as the pastor of that local church, as a leader of that student ministry that that person claims to be a Christian? I then have to go address that person about that certain problem. I've had to do this. Because that person is confessing Christ. I don't want Christ to have a bad witness. I don't want Christ to be defamed. I want someone to know Christ for who he is. I don't want other people influenced by that person negatively. And so if someone from another local church, let me know, and I will talk with that pastor at that local church. Because we want Christ to be glorified. We don't want any, anything beyond that. We don't want Christ to be, be belittled either. So, that's it. They are a confessing believer. Let's say they're not a confessing believer. They, you've never heard them confess Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You've never heard them utter, you know, the words, Jesus is my Savior. If they are not professing believers, the only thing we can do is pray. The only thing we can do is pray for them and hope that somehow, some way, they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe that's an avenue for you as a believer to share with them who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross and that he loves people and wants to forgive them of their sins and wants to be in relationship with them. Maybe you are that opportunity for that person to know Jesus. And so pray, ask God discernment to help. How, what does it look like for me to witness to this person that I see in this pattern of, of sin and they obviously don't know you? And so in this context of 1 Corinthians 5, we see this context in sexual sin and it we know sexual, sexual sin isn't just in the context of, of Bible times and Bible stories in the Old Testament. This is in the New Testament. Like, I don't know if you've noticed in our culture, there's a lot of sexual sin that, is, that happens in our culture, right? I mean, there's uh, sexual identity is, is something that people really hold on to or can hold on to. There's a, uh, people have created a group around a sexual identity, which would be a false identity, right? We talked about this. The only identity that you should have in your life, first place in your life, is your identity rooted in Christ. So how do you handle people in today's culture with, with their own sexual sins? Maybe they um, identify in, in a very sinful way. And so I would suggest you do this same, these same steps. You know, pray. Ask God to give you guidance. You know, discern. Do, have they ever confessed Christ, but they're holding to this pattern of sexual sin? Do they not confess Christ and go, f go there from there? But in any situation, and I want to finish up with this last point, in any situation, the end result of any situation involving the sin of someone else, whether it's sexual sin or not sexual sin, is our hope is that they experience 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should be our end goal in any situation. If they're a believer, hey, I want them to be reminded of the gospel, that they continue to need a Savior, that they confess Jesus Christ as Lord, it means in control of their life, and I'm going to submit to that. Maybe they need to be reminded of that. If they're not a believer and I see them in this pattern, I'm going to try to share the gospel with them because my goal is for them to know the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what saves them because I care about that person. I don't want anybody to perish eternally in hell. I want them to know Jesus and have eternal life and then be in a right relationship with God. This should be our end goal whenever we see approach have a conversation with someone who is directly sinning in an unrepentive way, as our hope is that they experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for all the students who are here and the leaders who are here. God, I just pray that we would just walk away from tonight. And God, God, the situations that come to mind when we see other people sin, God, I pray that you would give us grace and humility to Uh, be witnesses and examples for you um, and approach them with love and with the gospel um, of Jesus, that you love them, that you desire to be in relationship with them, and sin separates them from you. And so, God, I pray that we would be able to be uh, proclaimers of the gospel that um, only you can forgive, only you can save. God, I pray as we go out from tonight into our context of school, athletics, clubs, organizations. God, I pray that we'd be on mission, that we'd be on mission for you to spread your truth, spread your word, and love you and love others well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.